everybody for coming through today. Uh, today's episode of Space Invaders, of course, is brought to you by Cryptex, the creators of TCAP, the total crypto market cap token. It's your boy Hunter, aka B Fresh. And our guest today is Carl, co-founder and CEO of Grid Plus, uh, along with one of Grid Plus's engineers, Nate. Carl, Nate, I'm happy to have you guys here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, of course. So before we do get into uh, everything Grid Plus, Harbor Wallet related, um, I kind of want to get a little bit of uh, background from you guys. Uh, if you want, Carl, you can kind of lead with this. Uh, but what got you guys into uh, crypto in the first place? It's always an interesting question. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of an early crypto guy. Um, found out about Bitcoin probably in like 2011. That's really um, early. I think it's the earliest so far, by the way. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I didn't buy into it until 2012, but um, I, I actually first heard about it on NPR and they were doing a thing and people were, you know, buying drugs with it. Um, and, you know, being an interest, you know, uh, inquisitive person, I, uh, you know, started looking into it. And one of my hangups with it was at that point in time to get Bitcoin, you had to do some like odd stuff. You had to like get like a phone card from Walmart so that you could convert it into like an okay pay card. And then you could get a coupon <laughs> on Mount Gox uh, to buy Bitcoin. So at that point I was like, this sounds ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this, this will never work as a money system because there's, there's far too much friction. And uh, obviously that, you know, uh, year lag time between when I first looked at it, making that conclusion, and when I bought into it, uh, you know, ultimately cost me, you know, 10 or 20x. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, for, for, for that lack of foresight. Um, you know, but the the big thing with, with um, me getting into it and what happened in that intervening year is I actually started looking at the money system and developing the the my understanding of the money system is actually what made me much more comfortable with bitcoin because every question or hang up i had with bitcoin and cryptocurrency um is a hang up that we should all have with fiat currencies it's just most of us don't understand it so so that right. was kind of my path into it was seeing it then fully understanding how the dollar works and being like oh okay this this makes a lot of sense um and so, you know, I got into it in 2012, I was in grad school, was kind of like a hobby, you know, traded some, some early coins. Um, and then I eventually got a job working for uh, Consensus um, in early 2017 and worked for them sort of doing some, um, you know, basically a consulting shop at that point in time. Um, and then I got set up with Alex and Mark and we came up with the idea for Grid Plus and we spun out a consensus. And from day one at Grid Plus, I've always been working on um, sort of a custodial ship solution for kind of your everyday user so that they could actually use crypto in, you know, normal commerce. And that's, that's really what we're trying to accomplish, you know, with the Lattice One. I think that's kind of cool, by the way, how you, you, you your your story there you kind of go full circle where it's like you started off 2011 being like well you got to go through this entire process of buying this card redeeming it on, on uh you know mount gox and doing all this other stuff and then to your mission now being 
to onboard as many people as possible, the easiest way possible. That's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, Nate, I, 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 you know, I would assume your, your journey is a, a little bit different in, uh, in, in this regard, but, uh, uh yeah, my journey is uh, much different. I, uh, I first found out about crypto a long time ago. I think I saw like an infographic about the deep web and one of the footnotes on it was like, Oh, and they pay with this wacky thing called Bitcoin. And I'm like, I don't need that. I'm not buying anything off the deep web. Ridiculous. And I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. And then, uh, I've always kind of been into economics, so uh, I, I'll see the I see things about crypto coming up, uh, you know, a little bit in 2013, 2015, and I was always like, oh, that's just speculative, whatever. And uh, recently, in the last couple of years, as uh, it's gained more mainstream success, I'm like, okay, this is this is a serious thing. This is legit. Uh, and then I was just looking for a job. I was in the last year, and I came across uh, Grid Plus, and uh, I saw what was going on. And I thought this is something I can really get behind, get into. So I, uh, I end up with the, uh, the job here. I'm working on the, the Phonon project, which is something very interesting. That's, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Wow. Well, yeah, that's cool. I mean, and, uh, and I guess uh, uh, further in the conversation, if, uh, you know, as long as, as long as it's not too much alpha, you guys are leaking. I'd love to hear more about that <laughs> and what you're working on there. Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leak a little. <laughs> if, oh, if we don't mind not strictly following the script. Uh, oh, no, no, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Phonon is actually a super interesting thing. Uh, so basically what it is, is it's a hardware-enforced, off-chain, uh, scalable payment solution. So what it basically does is it allows you to securely and privately transfer keys between smart cards. Oh, wow. So I call it a layer zero scaling solution because it, as long as the card supports the curve that exists in a protocol, it is compatible with that protocol. Wow. Yeah, that's, so, that's definitely yeah. <laughs> so 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 for for example, um, there's there's <laughs> the, the the thing that's most interesting about it if you like you start to dig into it to like give you sort of the the quick form of it is is we've actually created digital cash, right? Bitcoin isn't digital cash. Bitcoin is the Federal Reserve plus the SWIFT system. That's what Bitcoin is, right? It needs the internet. It still needs nodes to run. But mm -hmm. what we've created are these cards that have physical uniqueness in physical space and you uniquely load a key onto that card and that is the only copy of that asset in existence, just like a dollar bill. Right. Except you can digitally trade them. So if I hook my card up to my phone or my computer and then you know Nate hooks his card up, we can send it. It doesn't have to transmit a note through a node. I'm just trading one key for another. So I can load sort of what we would call like a Bitcoin phone on my card and then I can shoot it over to Nate and then Nate will like receive it. So it's, it's a really interesting system because it takes sort of that economic threshold and that scalability issues with throughput on blockchains and it basically drives it to zero. So there's like use cases where you could do in an economically viable way, use blockchain-based assets, turn them into phonons and trade them a penny at a time for like a micropayment solution. You could create phonons that you use uh, for everyday settlement 
by carrying around a SIM card that's in your phone. Um, and then you can also use it on like a bigger scale as a, basically a cross-chain DEX, right? So because it's compatible with any blockchain, I could trade phonons from any blockchain to any counterparty who has a phonon card. Oh, wow. And, and I guess, and as you guys mentioned, this is something you're working on currently. Like it's not, it's not live yet, I would assume. Yeah. So, so we actually published uh, the first phonon transfer video that happened last Thursday. So we're looking to do like an alpha release of this probably in the next four weeks. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm just super excited about it because of the sort of the, sort of the technological implications that it brings to the table. And when I think about it, I kind of, in some ways, like to think about it as the most dangerous thing since Bitcoin. So, <laughs> I like the most disrupting thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty interesting because it's also privacy too. It kind of brings like a privacy layer to every blockchain, right? Because if people compose phonons, they'll compose phonons in like typical unit values, right? So maybe <clears throat> I do like point one ETH, you know, point zero one ETH, one ETH, like phonons. Right. right. Um, but then any account, any like EOA on Ethereum that has one of those values, like maybe a phonon. And those phonons then can trade peer to peer off chain an infinite number of times before being moved or redeemed back on chain. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Okay. So that makes anything that ever exists on any blockchain in one of those common increments sort of like provably deniably a phone on wow that's crazy <laughs> you kind of throw me for a loop there it's yeah, like the yeah, old, yeah. I, I, there, there's there, there's a lot to go into but if, if people want to you know check out more they can just go to phone on network it's spelled with a ph so ph o n o n uh dot network um you also can look at the grid plus blog and, and we kind of have a like a summary a couple articles about it and the first phone on transfer that happened today so we're just or not last week we published it today um we're super excited about it that's awesome well i guess that's that's going to be a, a something extra to look forward to um in addition to what the lattice one already provides would i be correct by the way in saying the lattice one is the like the uh, flagship uh hardware wallet that you guys provide are there different multiple hardware wallets you guys have or no so it's just um it's the it's the lattice one plus the safe cards so to speak so the lattice one is is a terminal uh, and it's right. a secure terminal. So, you know, it has anti-tamper. It runs uh, an HSM, hardware security module. Um, and it basically allows you to interface with either the account that's native on the device itself or right. any number of what we call safeguards. So each one of those safeguards or the account that's on board is effectively a secure enclave. And its purpose is um, basically storing a seed phrase. So each card that you have can be a different or, you know, a copy of one of your seed phrases. And so what's really cool about that is you can take like your physical like seed phrase and instead of having that in plain text, you can still have it in a physical format, but it's pin protected. Right. So in some ways that's a lot easier to deal with than having to deal with a plain text seed phrase. Right. That's such an interesting way to kind of uh, uh, go about like, like designing that aspect. Cause I think that's one thing that, a lot of uh, like, like even now, like for the most part, when people are kind of writing down their passphrases, you're supposed to write it down, right? That's kind of what the whole uh, like like um, moniker is. 
Uh, but like, I, I was always afraid, and I know this sounds kind of dumb, but I'm sure it's happened to somebody. I've always been afraid of like writing it down, putting that piece of paper somewhere, and like spilling water on it one day. And like, you know, it's all, it's all you know, my, my private key full of hundreds of dollars of screwed. <laughs> you know, I have no access to that anymore. <laughs> well, but it's cool. Well, that, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's not just spilling water on it, but if, right. if you think about as like crypto becomes more prevalent, it's just hiding it. Right. Right. Because you're, yeah. you're, you're like hiding that secret in physical space, which isn't necessarily trivial. So, we, we always joke that there's something called the sock drawer attack, right? <laughs> okay. So you know how people talk about, like, with Ledger, they have the, the, the $5 wrench attack? Classic, so, right? Right. <laughs> um, so instead of having to beat you with a wrench, all they do is they just go, like, go look in your sock drawer and they find uh, your seed phrase written down. And then they, then they don't have to beat you for the pin to your Ledger. <laughs> yeah, they know where it is. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. So I, I – yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's a, a software attack. I'm going to start using that, by the way. I like that. <laughs> software attack. Um, but so then, if I were to ask them, so that, that definitely seems like one of the biggest differences, I would say, between Grid Plus or Lattice One uh, and key, the, the key cards versus any other different hardware wall provider, I guess, right? Because I think a, like yeah. a lot of these other ones are just one thing, but yours is like, so you have the terminal, you have the key cards, the whole, the, you know, the passphrases. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's definitely one big difference, right? So, if you think about a lattice, a lattice, you know, isn't replacing necessarily one like ledger or treasure. It is replacing all of your ledger and treasures, because you know, you you get the terminal, and then for twenty bucks a pop, you get new safe cards, and, um, you know, the the safe cards are super convenient way to switch between seed phrases because. You know, I want to use it. I throw up my MetaMask. You know, I get my transaction ready. I stick my card in and pin in. So within, you know, three seconds, I'm basically ready to make a transaction with a card that was perfectly cold three seconds ago. Um, you know, so that that's like a huge difference. The other difference is, right, the Lattice is uh, designed to be always online. You know, and that makes people sometimes uncomfortable right but what they have to realize is that when they're putting the device online if i plug my ledger into my computer and my computer is either currently to or has been connected to the internet i'm effectively connecting my ledger to the internet and what is protecting you is the interface between your computer and your ledger which in that case is a usb connection right which, which is a very open attack surface. And there's been demonstrations of how that has been exploited in the past. We have a device and our device has two parts to it. We have sort of this general compute environment and the HSM piece, and we purposely designed and built, you know, an interface, which we call a mailbox, which is only ever attached to one thing at a time. So it either can talk to the outside world or it can talk to the HSM. It can't talk to both. And it's of a fixed physical memory size. So there's no, you know, CPU on there. There's, there's no ability to like sort of give an arbitrarily sized payload, which vastly reduces the attack surface. So right. we would argue, even though we're putting our device, you know, quote unquote online, our interface is much, much more robust than anything else that exists. And that's why we're comfortable doing that. Right. No, and uh, it's it's definitely um, it's it's definitely interesting to go to go with like uh, like you know like like that design mechanism as I mentioned because like 
it, like on the outside looking in, like if you're just like like your average consumer, it's like oh, okay, this, like you know th- this device like it looks a lot more uh, you say like kind of built out than any of the other ones because the other ones look very you know, kind of small, like like they kind of look like you're meant to kind of carry them in your pocket, which you probably shouldn't, <laughs> you know. Um, whereas this one definitely looks like it's more for power users, uh, you know. And, and kind of on that note, do do you guys think that harder wallets, you know? really are only used for, you know, those power users that are constantly using DeFi, constantly trading back and forth NFTs, or do you think average consumers will need one? It, it depends what future we want, right? So right. If, if you step back and you philosophically look at what crypto is trying to do, we're trying to create sort of like a free, decentralized, censorship-resistant, you know, monetary system. Now, unfortunately, if you start introducing custodians in that process, uh, you start losing those properties very quickly. So if, if um, and, and you lose a number of things, right? So like there's, there's different things that you're like trying to disrupt when we're talking about cryptocurrencies as, as a unit of commerce. You know, one is sort of the monetary policy, like it's dictated by the Federal Reserve. And, you know, I think like Bitcoin and Ethereum have shown that that's very doable. Then you start to want to try to disintermediate the intermediary, right? So they've sort of shown that we can supplant the SWIFT system. But when it comes to custodianship, right, we have things like Coinbase and Kraken that people put their money in, which is, you know, turning into like the new age of JP Morgan and Bank of America. So because of that laziness or because of the friction in the interfaces, we're actually falling back into these centralized systems. And we may not concern ourselves with that now, but as we keep doing that, we're going to allow the regulators to co-opt these systems and turn them right back into what we're trying to innovate against. So when people talk about like decentralization in crypto, it's not just about how many nodes you're running. It's about how many users are using it every day for everyday things and custodying their own funds, because those are the properties that keep this from breaking down and becoming re-centralized. And that's one of sort of the key tenets that we're trying to do with the Lattice is the cool thing with a safe card is one of the confusing things about it is um, like about crypto and like getting someone to adopt it is this concept of a seed phase. But if you give a safe card to like your mother or your grandmother, they'll look at that and you'll be like, yeah, that's like a debit card. It just has a different type of money on it. And that's right. all you really have to explain. You know, you might have to go into it a little bit and say, oh, you might want to make a backup of it, et cetera, et cetera. But right. at the end of the day, they can wrap their head around what it is and how to use it. And so I think smart cards are going to be a key bridge to, to getting everybody adopting these things. Right, it's probably a, it's probably a much better idea to to use a smart card, let's say, versus just storing your stuff on like uh on your hideout. What's it called? A MetaMask wallet, <laughs> your your wallet on your uh you know on your uh, your Chrome browser. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, if if you have any significant amount of money, um, yeah, you're you're putting yourself at huge risk, uh, keeping it in a hot wallet at this point in history. And you'd, you'd be very surprised. A lot of people I know still only do that. <laughs> very, very surprised. <laughs> I mean, we, we've actually had a lot of like 
a lot of owners come in because they've had issues, uh, especially in like the NFT space, because the NFT space is heavily fished, right? right? And they end up sort of getting cleared out and then they adopt a lattice and it, everything kind of works out for them after that. So, um, yeah. So are there any uh... DeFi NFT integrations like like within the lattice one by any chance and yeah I I mean I asked that very loosely like like is it just kind of like you know uh, you plug your, your card in connect connect to your browser and then you kind of go from there or is there like kind of different features there uh, I, I uh, I'm very intrigued on that so the the lattice itself is really just meant to be a signer and right. it interfaces with your traditional like Web three interfaces. So um, right now, Frame, you know, is a wallet that is uh, supporting the Lattice. Uh, we have a fork of MetaMask, but um, spoilers, you know, um, the week after next, we're going to be in mainline MetaMask. So uh, we'll be the first hardware wallet to get added to MetaMask besides um, Ledger and Trezor. Um, there's also an integration that's forthcoming with, uh, um, new, um, so oh, okay. yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's good support in the, uh, Ethereum ecosystem. We also have the grid plus like, um, web wallet that you can use as well. So when you talk about direct integrations, we originally like did some direct integrations, but what we found is using the wallet providers that sort of support the DeFi and support NFT is a better um, sort of sort of use of our resources. So you can do all of that stuff. You just do it via one, one of those tools. Right. So instead of like going vertical and building everything out yourself, you're kind of uh, like, you know, using the other uh, different, uh, you could say tools that are out there to integrate with the lattice one. Right. So instead of having to integrate with like a hundred DeFi projects, we integrate with like, Right. you know, three or four wallet providers that already have support and integrations with the different DeFi applications. Right. So let me give you guys a the little, I would say probably a simple scenario. Uh, let's say I want to get, you know, my, uh, my DGen on more or less. And I wanted to stake my CTX uh, tokens and get some rewards. Uh, how would that be done with the lattice one? So I think it's, it's like you said, you kind of plug in, for example, if I'm using frame, uh, maybe use their kind of uh, I guess you could say uh, their plugin and plug into the actual Web3 app on the website and then just sign everything on the Lattice one? Or is, like, is, is, do, any, do any actions have to actually be done on the computer at all? Or is it just all the Lattice one? Yeah, no. So, so it would look, right? So when, when you link your Lattice to your computer, you basically pair your Lattice up with the device that you're making the request from. Right. So you go through kind of the setup process when you set up MetaMask or Frame cryptographically pairs those two devices. And then what ends up happening is if I go and I um, you want to use, you know, yield farm or, you know, LP or whatever, um, you know, I can go to, you know, uni and initiate the LP. Um, and what will happen is that'll pop up, say my MetaMask with the request when I hit sign, it actually sends that request to my lattice. And the lattice, one of the cool features is we have what we call ABI packs. So instead of just giving you like the basic transaction information plus this big blob of hex data, if you load the supported ABI packs in, you'll actually see the um, 
the data payload in human readable format. Oh. So you can actually see, okay, this is a, a Uniswap. I'm actually going to do like an LP initiation. I'm going to do it like on this pair. And then one of the cool features that we introduced just today is we also have uh, naming. So you can actually um, create named contracts that will show up on your lattice. So if you're oh. like consistently using Uniswap, you can, you know, basically name the Uniswap contract. And then if you're interested in like using WEF and die, you could also add a name to that. So then coupled with your ABI, you know, it would pop up and it would say, this is a Uniswap. And then it would say it's a swap of WEF for die in this amount. So it makes, um, DeFi confirmation is very, very easy uh, and very, very transparent. Uh, you, you guys are consistently shipping, huh? Like last week, today. <laughs> like <a> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there's, there's, there's more in the roadmap for us too. So, uh, multi-asset. So, so right now with the lattice, right? We do Bitcoin, we do Ethereum. So any tokens on Ethereum and anything that's EVM compatible, right? So Binance, Matic, etc. Right, all work with the lattice right now, but uh, by end of year, we're targeting to get multi-asset functioning. So, and and we're actually doing it in a way that hopefully is uh, protocol um, agnostic. Meaning, when I say multi-asset, we should support anything. Yeah, like every blockchain that exists. Um, so. It, 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 it's, an, it's, it's an interesting way that we're doing that. Uh, I, I don't know if we want to get the specifics, but basically the wallet itself, the Lattice One, will be able to um, receive, display, compose, and sign any sort of cryptographic primitive that's desired of an endpoint. Oh, wow. So it'd be kind of like... Um... Being able to, yeah, so, so without you guys having to necessarily, like, like list a specific uh, coin, let's say, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Digibyte, for example, that's the only one I remember. <laughs> It'll just be kind of be able to show up in the, uh, show up on the wallet if you send it over? Yeah, so, so or... what, what we're basically doing is we've created sort of like a runtime topology. And the client, when they make requests, defines what the request looks like and how to compose it. And then we have a way to sort of mark up and display that in a reasonable way to the user. So the wallet itself doesn't actually need to know anything about Digibyte, doesn't need to know anything about the Digibyte protocol, but we can service any cryptographic request that's composed properly by the client. So the client needs to know about wow. like Digibyte and how to form the protocol, but the, la the lattice itself does not. I see. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then when it turns into asset integrations, anybody that can do like front end development could potentially like add a new asset or add a new transaction type within a few hours. Um, they wouldn't need any firmware update or explicit support from the lattice itself. No, I, I definitely think that that's 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 the uh, like that's kind of like like the way to go. Like, like just in terms of like like. Um... Like when you're building stuff in general, it's like like being able to build for like like uh, any type of integration, right? Instead of just kind of adding things one by one, you know, like kind of thinking, okay, how can we like be able to support like any type of blockchain that wants to integrate, not just Ethereum and Ethereum-based tokens, um, you know, in general, right? 
Uh, right. I mean, if, yeah. and if you if you look at like what you're trying to accomplish with a with a hardware wallet, you're always going to be working ideally in a relatively constrained, embedded environment from a security standpoint. Right. Uh, but in doing that, like if you look at Ledger, right? Ledger only lets you support three tokens at a time. Right. Right. And then if you want to support a different token, you got to delete one applet and like put another applet on there. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if you can generically support that, then, then your, your security piece, your hardware piece uh, can support everything. And, and that's, that's what we're moving towards. The possibilities are limitless from there. <laughs> you can hold any shitcoin you want. <laughs> well, not just any shitcoin you want. You could actually think about it transcending crypto even, cryptocurrencies. You could potentially integrate it with an email client. You could potentially do like FIDO authentication. You could potentially replace your Google Authenticator app. There's, there's pretty much limitless opportunity. So now it, instead of just being a crypto box, it actually turns into like the true self-sovereign identity box, one piece of which is crypto. Yeah, that's how you sell a product, by the way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's actually really cool. Um, so I, I guess to, to kind of bring the conversation to a, a little bit high level again, because I, I think all that stuff is, is, is really is just really crazy, to be honest. Um, I, I know we, we mentioned, uh, you know, when, when I do want to get involved in that DeFi stuff, uh, obviously going to the, uh, the lattice itself and signing transactions from there. Uh, but just in general, like, like, a, like, like is the UI kind of uh, friendly to being able to like view your tokens, for example, like if I have an Ethereum-based altcoin like TCAP, or any other token, as you mentioned, like can I just like, kind of swipe through like that UI itself, or is it kind of just made for signing and everything like that? It's it's uh, really just made for signing. There there has been requests for us to pull more data from the outside world. Right. The problem that you have is that everything that's happening on the HSM should be an objective thing. And right. when I talk about like blockchain state, I can't objectively know what that is. So that is going to be subjective data from the perspective of the HSM. So you can technically do it, um, but you're very much mixing your security surface, right? Right. Like you're sacrificing security for convenience, more or less. Correct. And, and it's not necessarily that convenient because we can't necessarily make like the metamask thing take place on the secure screen that would be very hard for us right. and obviously that would take a lot of mixing of that security profile which would make it a lot less secure of a device so because we know we can't really offer a full featured experience and we know that we're sort of violating good security practices it's not something that we've chosen to do i see no, yeah, right. you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely, I can definitely stand behind something like that because, like, you guys know what, what what the mission is, right? Like, like you said, I mean, I'm just gonna call it a self sovereign identity box at this point. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. Um, like, like you know, security at the end of the day and custody of your own funds is, is the goal. Um, and you know, like, yeah, you know, it's not worth taking any shortcuts towards that, right? Yeah, I mean, the the one the one thing that we're really debating internally is curation. So, you know, we've just added this feature wherein, you know, you can name a contract address, which makes the device much more usable, right? Um, 
So like in a Uniswap transaction, I've eliminated 96 bytes of hex that I have to verify and I can replace it with, you know, three immediately recognizable names, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but to do that right now, we require the user to initially match those uh, contracts to names, right? Yeah. Um, but hypothetically, we could do that, right? So we could actually like create a list and say, Grid Plus knows that that's the Uniswap V3 contract. So we'll just give you, you know, a list of a hundred or thousands of these different popular contracts and tokens, and we'll let you just bulk load it onto the device. Right. Is that kind right? of how, how like Uniswap is like tokenless, right? Like where they already have kind of pre-filled tokenless, you can just kind of enable and it fills them in there? Instead of yeah, you, so, yeah, so it, it, it would be like us curating token list, but it would right. be available like on the HSM, Got it. right? So yeah. it, the, the HSM doesn't really have enough of an understanding of the outside world to like understand the state of the Ethereum blockchain. So we can't really understand token list, right? right? But if Grid Plus curates a list and we effectively sign that list so that it like we're attesting to the validity of that list, the HSM can recognize that as being a valid list. You see what I'm uh, saying? Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're debating how far we want to go down that curation path, again, because of the mixing of objective and subjective data and like changing security profiles, right? So like right now we have a secure device, but let's say we get into the business of curation and, and we screw it up. It's a right? slippery slope, yeah. <laughs> right, and, and if we screw it up, and somebody loses money because we misidentify a token. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going to be like, oh, Grid Plus is insecure. The the lattice itself is not insecure. The hardware wallet is bulletproof. But because there was a lapse in the curation, right, right. You're, you're creating a security window. So, you know, there's there's some path that we think we might start going down there. But you can understand how, for us, like it mixes something that is like very tight and very secure and like very knowable. And it, and it adds a lot of attack surface to that. So it's something that we're very cautious and considering. But if we did something like that, we can make this look a lot more like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right, in, ter in terms of the interface, because now we could basically mark everything up. So it would just be like, oh, you're transferring Uniswap V3 of, of Dai to West, and the user wouldn't have to do anything. It would just magically mark it up and know that that was the case. So, right. yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, and I'm sure if you guys were to go down that path, uh, I'm sure Nate would, uh, instead of doing the phone on stuff, he'd probably, you know, <laughs> he'd, probably, he'd probably put him on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the lattice phone route <laughs> instead of the phone on one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, all right. So I mean, so just generally, then, uh, you know, do do you think that? And and I know we we touched on it a little bit, but uh, like I think we kind of touched on maybe like like what the uh, what the ideal scenario was. Uh, but do do you think that self custody uh, will be the standard within the crypto industry? Like I know, as you mentioned, we're kind of a lot of people are kind of leaning towards the centralized exchange route and kind of uh, bringing the middleman back into crypto, which is what we don't want. But like, like to what to what extent do you think self custody, uh, you know, will be the standard in crypto? Well, so the reason I'm working on all of this stuff, and right. you you may have started to notice in this conversation that I can be a little bit pan pedantic with like very fine edged differences. Right. Uh, but 
those fine edge differences can be extraordinarily important, you know, in security. And I think it can also be extraordinarily important in the outcome of crypto. And the unfortunate thing is many people who maybe prescribe to sort of the ideals of like what crypto is trying to do and solve don't fully uh, comprehend the trade-offs they're making when they make them. So the reason that I'm working on this stuff is because I think if we don't end up with something that has a significant number of people self-custodying funds, we're not going to you know, build ourselves into, you know, a cypherpunk future, we're going to build ourselves into George Orwell's panopticon. Mm -hmm. And we'll be in a completely totalitarian nightmare state. So, yeah, I I, I very much hope that's not the case. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I'm doing everything that I can to prevent that. But if if we go down that path, like it's not good. I mean, if, if, if you want to talk philosophically, I could draw a straight line between today and how Ethereum turns into FedCoin in three years. Really? Like, Absolutely. Wait, so, what way? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, <laughs> let's 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 go through the scenario. Yeah. So Ethereum slated to move out of proof of stake. Yes. Yeah, of course. There's forty billion dollars in USDC that currently exists. The primary holders of the majority of Ethereum are exchanges that all operate in a bank-regulated environment. True, right? Right. So what happens when the exchanges make up the majority of stake and the regulators come in and they say, we think that the Ethereum protocol needs to change so that these blocks are compliant with our new regulations. And if you don't do it, you lose your access to the banking system. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Every one of those exchanges is going to comply and there's only going to be compliant blocks issued on the Ethereum blockchain. And then the Federal Reserve will have gained control of the Ethereum blockchain. Right. So no, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's like subtleties here. Now, if that wasn't a centralized set of scenarios, that case wouldn't happen. If you didn't have $40 billion of fiat backed stable tokens on the blockchain, that scenario wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. So as long as you can break some of these dependency trees, that won't happen. But if we keep going in a centralized manner, we keep using fiat backed stable tokens, we keep putting our shit on exchanges like this, Janet Yellen's going to be the head of this party in three years. Oof. <laughs> Time to skate out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. You know, no, I mean, you know what? Like, you definitely have a point there. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting conversation, right? Because I think the whole, the whole, the whole idea of crypto, right, is to, is to kind of get away from all that stuff, be more decentralized and more reliant on yourself. But I think it, it's kind of human nature to want to blame someone else for, you know, like, you know, like any mishaps, which is why I think a lot of people use exchanges because they don't trust themselves to hold their own coins, you know? Right. But, but at the same time, like historically we've had like really piss poor solutions that let them self custodian things. True. Yeah. Right. So like if I have a, like a ledger and I have Coinbase, I get why people choose Coinbase. Yeah. I get it a hundred percent. But like, if you have a lattice and you have safeguards, I, I no longer understand like why people would make that trade off. Right. 
No, yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I, I think the, the only the only scenario I can see where someone may, and you can, and I would definitely love your opinion on this, where I could see someone maybe not, like choosing like a centralized exchange over uh, having a hardware wallet to keep your funds is if maybe your living situation isn't as secure as you'd want it to be necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't necessarily have like one place to stay, maybe if you're like a third world country or whatever like that, and you don't have, you don't have access to that stuff, um, I would think that maybe I could see people, someone using a centralized exchange, but even on that, like, what are your thoughts? Maybe, but like fundamentally, even in that third world scenario, right. the person's going to have to interact with that exchange at some point. Right. Right. So, you know, I don't necessarily have direct access to the keys, but like between, you know, SIM swapping their phone or getting their phone and beating their password out of them or, you know. Uh, hacking their computer and getting their password or maybe I'm doing it all on just the phone right, right. like you're, you're still going to have that problem it's just maybe not as obvious yeah right 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 you see and, what I'm and, saying and, no, and I think that there are like other solutions in addition to the concept of these self-sovereign identity solutions um, you know through either social recovery or contract based things that if you put all these things together um, you could end up with something just as good, if not better, than any centralized custodian. Um, the problem that we face is we need to continue to improve the UI UX of these systems and create right. abstractions which are fully and easily understandable by your average person so that that is the outcome. Yeah, no, and you know, I think crypto has come a long way, honestly, it's in that regard, right? Like, I mean, like, even like, even, even like a year or two ago, I feel like the, the UIs and UXs, at least for DeFi-related stuff, have like tremendously increased. Tremendously. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm super early Bitcoin, right? So, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, you know, but, but when people talk about that too, like I think we can do it, right? Because, you know, if you take the parallel to the internet, which I think crypto is, you know, sort of much in the same vein of, right? The internet gave us this free ability to, you know, communicate and exchange information around the world. And crypto is giving us this ability to freely exchange value around the world. Uh -huh. If you go to the early days of the internet, like the UIs were shit until about 95, right? right. But, like people still used it, but between 1995 and 2005, it went from like 3 million households having, you know, a connection to the internet to everybody being on the internet and by 2015, it was that it's uh, the average U.S. adult spends 11 hours in front of in front of a screen every day. Isn't that crazy? I, I still think about that. That's nuts. <laughs> right. Even now, after COVID, right? Right. right. So, yeah. so the so the internet really kind of got its legs, like what, like '87, um, you know, and then it didn't really get like a American Online version till '95. And then, you know, by the time the iPhone became ubiquitous 20 years later, it's, it's basically the center of everybody's life. So, you know, I would say we're at least past America Online. I would say, you know, maybe this sort of cycle you could call like the dot-com. Um, but 10 years from now, if we keep doing our jobs, it should be perfectly ubiquitous. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, and again, it, I think it's really, it's really interesting to like, think that far ahead because I feel like everything moves so quick in this industry. Um, like twenty years on the line seems like like, like, a, like a lifetime, really. Kind of because kind of because it is actually, but <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy.
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, I'm like for the first time when I went to a conference, you know, I didn't go for to a conference for a, for a little while, um, you know, and I've I've been going to crypto conferences for a while, um, right? But it, the first, it was the first time that I went to one, and the crypto people were vastly outnumbered by suits. Yeah, right. Yeah, I did notice that. Right by trad five people. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and I yeah. mean, it's just everybody there is like in industry, and they're just like wanting to use crypto in their business, or you yeah, know, they're wanting to interface it. They're not like a crypto native, or like you know, sort of a crypto evangelist, or like an early crypto adopter. They're just like a normal person at like a normal job, like yeah, yeah. looking at this new technology. Um, so, in some ways, like I think in the crypto space, we got like another four or five years of innovation. And then it's going to get boring after that. <laughs> oh, stop. Don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah, man. I already told my wife. I, I came back from the conference. I was like, I'm a little bit depressed because, like, I see the, you know, I see I see the rapid innovation, like, you know, ossifying and becoming just, like, a normal course of business. So, like, four to five years from now, this isn't going to be, you know, exciting and challenging and changing anymore. This is just going to be another job. I guess we got to enjoy it while we can. We got to do everything we can to make the next four or five years, like to build the world and the image that we want to ultimately like achieve. Right. hundred percent. Um, and, and on that note, uh, because, you know, I, I definitely you know, I want to start wrapping things up here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, what does the roadmap for grid plus look like the next, you know, I mean, we're going to go four to five years out, but you know, a couple months year, I know you mentioned a couple things like, uh, like the phone on, but anything else in your roadmap? <clears throat> Yeah, so I mean, the big the big one for us right now um, is scaling up production, mm-hmm. uh, continuing to like deliver good software updates, getting generic assets in place, um, you know, and and sort of scaling into demand next year. That's you know been quite a challenge for us with the whole supply chain yeah. debacles. It's made a difficult business of a hardware business become even more of a difficult business. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, people are on the fence about a lattice. I mean, we, we will be out of stock by the end of the year and we'll potentially Ooh. have like a two month gap. All um, right. Order them what you can, so, folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't guarantee stock. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I would, I would say it's like a 90% that it's before Christmas that we're out of stock. Um, and like, if everything goes well, it'll be like March before we have new stock. And that's just how the supply chain works these days. Oof. Well, I, I'm, I, thankfully, I think I have one on one, one the way over to me. So, all right. Well, I'm happy that I got one for that. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to res- like hold a little bit back for, you know, obviously servicing RMAs and, you know, stuff right. like that. But, um, yeah, you won't be able to purchase probably for, you know, 48 weeks sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Listen, so, listen, guys. Yeah, I mean, if you guys care about your loved ones, if you want to get them involved in crypto, make sure to do the right thing. Get them a hardware wallet. All right. Don't, don't. Yeah. Let, let's not make the centralized exchange the norm uh, for, for crypto users. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we kind of jumped through a lot of things. Does everyone um, kind of understand the, the basic difference uh, between a hardware and a software wallet? If you want, you can go ahead and kind of like explain it real quick. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, if people people want to talk, I know people have been listening. You know. Yeah, yeah. If anyone, if anyone it, it, has it, a question, 
feel free to reach out. Yeah, if people want to jump in, have a question, tell me I'm full of shit, or, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'd like to call them on it, so let's not do that, but, (laughs) yeah. No, no, I mean, you know, I'm I'm making bold claims about what could happen with Ethereum if if we don't, you know, keep our eyes up, so, uh, you know. Well, yeah, um, no, no. I, 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 I like that though. Like the differences between, like, let's say, a hardware wallet and like just having stuff in your MetaMask. We did touch on that, um, or like you know, like a Web three software wallet. Um, yeah. So, are, so yeah, I mean, the, the 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 key difference though is, right? When you get a hardware wallet, you're basically moving your seed phrase from your computer to the wallet, and that wallet should really guarantee two things for you. One is that it keeps that seed phrase safe. So when my lattice is hooked up to my computer, if my computer gets compromised, my seed phrase is still going to be perfectly fine, right? Because it's on my hardware wallet and the security guarantees that we're giving you make it so that your computer can't get it off of there. Um, So that's point one. Point two, which fewer people understand and is just as consequential as losing your seed phrase, is signing a message which you haven't verified. So this is a less prevalent attack, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. So if people are familiar with the hack on Nexus Mutual, or it was a hack on Hughes Carp's personal wallet. I don't want to mix that up, but you know he yeah. is the founder and CEO of Nexus Mutual. Um, <clears throat> he basically had his computer compromised, and what happened was somebody created like a malicious version of MetaMask that showed him one thing, but then it sent it off to his ledger for him to sign something else. And what they changed was in that data payload. So if you look on your ledger, that data payload's that like long ass string of hex that nobody looks, reads, or cares about. Right. Right? And he just confirmed it. And he lost like eight and a half million dollars because he confirmed something without verifying what he was confirming. Oh no. (laughs) Right? So like one of the huge benefits of the lattice is you have this five inch screen and you have these tools that we've given people like ABIs, which allow you to decipher that hex string into human readable text. And then you can then add your human readable you know, tags so that you don't even have to check your addresses and you can just see your human readable name, right? So those features make it a lot easier to verify, which is the other thing that your wallet needs to guarantee you. So that's really what the lattice does versus um, what you would get on a software wallet. So the software wallet doesn't make good guarantees of keeping your keys safe, nor do they have good guarantees of actually creating signatures on what you think you're signing. Right, and, and I think it's definitely worth worth mentioning that that this is important uh, whether you're whether you're messing around in DeFi or NFTs, since NFTs have been obviously kind of going crazy this last year. Uh, like like some people have NFTs that maybe they bought for really cheap. That skyrocketed in value and still keep them in their in their MetaMask wallet or just software wallet, right? Well, I, from from what we have seen, um, the NFT guys are getting like hammered um, with phishing attacks and like That's relatively sophisticated phishing attacks. Yeah. Um. So, like the thing of it is, if you had a lattice and you, like you look at what you're doing when you sign it on the lattice, you become much less prone to phishing attacks, right? So like if you're in the NFT space and you're using a software wallet and you're on like Windows, you're basically guaranteed to get your money stolen. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, okay. it's, I mean, it, it, like 
as a security person, you know, that like works in this, like, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a way that you could prevent it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if somebody wants to steal your money and they, they can target you too, because like you have addresses, right? So one of the phishing attacks is like airdrops. Yeah. Right. And then people will see like, oh, I have this coin that's like coins worth value, but then they need to like go interact with a contract to somehow move those tokens. But then the instructions they give you are really just stealing your NFT. That's crazy. Even doing this stuff like on the daily, every transaction I do, I still think about that because you got to be careful, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, you absolutely have to be careful. And, you know, our goal is like build this tool to make it safe. And the NFT right. space is also a hard one, too, because exchanges don't support it. <laughs> yeah, true. Right. Like yeah. what exchange supports custodying your NFTs? I, I don't know if there is one. Is there? Uh, not to my knowledge, actually. Yeah, no, none. Right. So like you've created this space where like you have a lot of non-technical newcomers coming in and they're getting like amazing returns in terms of value so their assets are becoming more and more of a target so like i mean if that's you like you, you either better know what you're doing or you better get a harder wallet because <laughs> yeah you're 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 gonna get attacked at some point um and and like i say that you don't even know the vector it's not just like oh don't load you know don't load don't click on email links that you don't know about or like don't download that attachment like they'll get you by airdropping stuff, they'll get you on Twitter. There's like a thousand different ways that they'll get you, right? So, yeah, no, you know, and and I think to a certain extent, this kind of come, uh, brings me back to what we were talking about earlier, how like a lot of people are kind of just going with the centralized exchange route to uh, hold their tokens and all that stuff, uh, because not or none to my, again to my knowledge, uh, no, no centralized exchanges allow the holding of NFTs. This is almost kind of like a little window of opportunity for harder wallets to kind of take hold and be like, you need to be using harder wallets to actually store your stuff personally, not exchanges. Not that you can anyways, but you know what I mean? Like, let's kind of get in there before the exchanges do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough for NFT, like exchanges to hold NFTs from um, yeah. a topological standpoint, because a lot of how they build their security practices are der like derived around fungibility. Right, like you can't even have a hot and cold topology on an exchange. Like right. that's that's like one of the ways that exchanges sort of guarantee like risk or you know defend loss is they have a hot and a cold wallet. Right, so you know yeah. if you look at Coinbase, you know they have like a quarter billion dollars or quarter trillion dollars in crypto, right? But ninety eight percent of that is often a cold wallet. Right, right. There's only two percent that's hot, but like I can't do that with an NFT. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons that exchanges haven't figured out how to do it is because their security structure is is almost incompatible with the concept of an NFT. That's crazy. Right, because because the way you have to do it is like strictly guarantee the security of a hot wallet. Yeah, and. That's really hard to do if you're a really big target. I tell you, this is a, it's it's funny. As like even as time goes on and a lot of this stuff matures, it's, it truly does still feel like it's like uh, <laughs> like like in all reality, like it, it does. It, all it takes is like a little slip up to like really allow you to lose all that value, like you you try to retain, even though yeah, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I'm super <laughs> bullish on NFTs, though, especially um, there's like some new sets of NFTs that are coming out what that are bridging physical and digital. So, like, you know, in some ways, when it comes to the digital NFTs, you know, you could maybe call me a little bit of a crypto boomer. Oh, you, you don't got any punks? You got any apes? Any, uh... <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I, I, I got into like Gods Unchained. Okay. Uh, and like a couple other projects like that, but um, yeah, I, I haven't got into you know the, the pudgy penguins or you know <laughs> the lazy lions or anything. Uh, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm also just really busy, so well, I, I, you know, I don't I, I don't have a ton of time to track a lot of the right because to because to do that well and kind of like invest and make money, like you you really got to be tracking the social element of that. I just I just don't have a ton of time for it. Um, Frank, yeah. But but in the next 12 months, I think what we'll see like blow up the world in the NFT space is NFTs that are bridging the digital and the physical. So instead of like just owning like a JPEG, you're going to actually own a painting that is made by, you know, like a very valuable artist. And there's going to be an NFT that's tradable it's potentially redeemable or, you know, usable to take physical possession, but doesn't necessitate it. Right. So that painting right. could sit off in a warehouse somewhere and you could trade it and never actually touch it. Or that painting could sit in a museum and you could technically go in and like take that painting at some point, but most people wouldn't, they would just trade the NFT. And you could also look at them creating both physical and digital rights to like a work like that. Right. Another great example that I think is ripe for disruption is, you know, homes. Right. right. There's there's definitely some backdoor legal strategies that are being worked on to disrupt the deed market without having to disrupt the deed market. So, you know, I think that's kind of the next um, the next thing that's going to go crazy. So I'm I'm very bullish on NFTs. <laughs> Look at that. That's crazy. It's funny that you mentioned that, like the redeemable thing. Like I was literally talking to someone about that exact thing, like like yeah, like, like I don't know, like a couple of, like a week ago or something like that. That's crazy. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I think... well, well, I mean, I mean, look at look at like Christie's and like Sotheby's. Like they've gotten into the digital space, but if you think about like one of the value adds for your art collectors, like art collectors kind of like fall into three categories. Right. Right. There's people that actually want the art. To like appreciate like your connoisseur right then there's the people that are looking at it as an investment and then there's the people that are just laundering money like those, <laughs> yeah. are, those, those are like the three categories of like art investors and like christie's and you know sotheby's like they know this i mean if they're going to admit it or not like they, they know this right so for um every one like those two two out of those three categories besides the connoisseur they don't actually want the painting and even in the case of the connoisseur, a lot of them would be perfectly fine with just putting that in the Met and knowing that they own it and maybe having a little digital plaque next to it saying that they own it, right? That, that would be crazy. Yes. Right? <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. So, so there's, there's like no this, – this creates like a way better high-end art market by like turning this shit into NFTs with literally no downside for anybody mind blown imagine just like flexing and they're like yeah like standing next to the mona lisa you're like this is mine scan it you can, you can tell yeah <laughs> yeah and like have their name yeah. on it and they're like oh you know i also have this cool app that like lets me put a message next to it yeah right 
Did you like I imagine? Mean, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. No. You know. You know. And I, I, I can definitely see a world where, like, like that is that could be kind of the norm, right? I, I think that's the coolest thing about this space is that you truly can't tell, like, like what the future will actually hold. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't think anyone could have guessed this year we'd be at the point where we are now. People are literally trading more or less JPEGs as we call them, uh, like millions of dollars. Like that's nuts. yeah. Yeah. No. It's 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 nuts. I mean, the, and and the, the 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 funny one though is I was like really kind of. Uh, sort of like you know thought that was like a complete bubble but one thing that kind of changes that game is the social networks adopting verified badges yeah yeah twitter right <laughs> like 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 now now it becomes something that's like digital real estate right like it, it completely changes like that trade in jpegs right so so the I'm, I'm not like completely shitting on the digital stuff but like if the digital stuff sort of manifests in a restricted form like if you want to have your Twitter avatar be a CryptoPunk, you have to prove that it's a CryptoPunk to us and that you own it, right? Yeah. Then those CryptoPunks, like, have, like, long-term persistent value because people will be like, oh, like, you're an OG crypto guy, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? Like, it becomes a flex. Like, it makes sense just like standing next to the Mona Lisa in the Met. It's just, you know, the Met is no longer the Met. It's Twitter or it's Facebook or it's the Metaverse or, like, whatever, you know, comes up. Like right. then, that starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting to, again to see like all this stuff kind of come like full circle. Like it's like like I used to be into kind of like sneakers, like the like the fashion and stuff like that. So you know, I'd see people walking around with like hundred dollars sneakers, you know, like thousand dollar jackets and stuff like that, Louis Vuitton and all that crap. Uh, so you know, I used to think that, that you know that was crazy to me, but I think this is even nuts. This is even more nuts. Like people have profile pictures worth essentially like like hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. but like I, I, I kind of get it now, especially when you couple it with like that sort of uh, digital um, sort of real estate rarity, right? Then like suddenly that that cypherpunk becomes meaningful because if I if I can just go on Twitter, right, and I can just like pick a cypherpunk, or right, and you know, or your pudgy penguins, lazy lines, or whatever, and just like throw it up as my profile, and I don't have to pay for it, right? Yeah. Then, then there's like no value to it. But then if Twitter comes in, they says you have to verify that. And then suddenly that's a flex, right? Yeah. No, because then, then it's legit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like a pretty cool flex too, right? So that, then, then it starts to make sense. So, I'm yeah. sure once once that happens, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on your uh, in your your profile pic. By the way, let you know like, for, for, for all I know, it's gonna turn into like an alien or something like that. <laughs> or a bunch of things. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no. I mean, if anyone has any uh, has any uh, comments, any questions, they want me like like come up here. Uh, yeah, let us know before we wrap up. I'd love to uh, kind of give give anyone the opportunity there. Uh, but it's definitely it's definitely been a pleasure talking about everything hardware wallets, uh, NFTs uh, with, with you, Carl today. You know. Yeah, yeah well, I have appreciate... a I have a quick question. Uh, hey, Carl, where where online could we go to talk to? Obviously, you at Grid Plus and all the other handsome, cool employees, such as Nate, <laughs> I assume. Um. Uh, such as uh, Nate to pick one at random, certainly. <laughs> Nate, Nate is uh, our. Uh, how do I describe Nate? What? Maybe, maybe. So previously, we had an employee that was much like Nate, and you know, he's the one that brings like levity, you know, into the the organization. So you can pardon my French, but maybe we should give him the title or pass on the title of chief 
chuckle fuck officer. <laughs> I'll take it. CCF, CCFO, dude. <laughs> nice. If I had to describe myself to a normal person, I'd say wacky eccentric. But uh, in the crypto land, it's like, yeah, regular dude. Whatever. Literally. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, if, if people want to, you know, um, talk to us about the lattice, if they have questions, they can hop in our Discord. Um, you know, they can obviously discord is preferred over twitter dms uh we do have like a pretty active twitter profile if you want to learn more, more about phonon right you can go to phonon network there's also a phonon dow um twitter account now um so yeah bullish on phonon oh i'm i'm so excited on phonon so so i came up with phonon um like February, like the idea, like sparked probably like February of eighteen, and then I kind of like worked out the the generalized form of it by the middle of summer. So like this idea has been sort of maturating for two and a half years, and seeing it like finally be realized, it's super super exciting. I'm gonna be keeping my eyes on your Twitter, uh, Discord, and all that stuff to make sure uh, I'm like one of the first people to hear about that. All right. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> but hey listen thank you guys obviously Kyle for tuning in today uh, as well as a quick thank you for Cryptex for hosting today's episode I really appreciate uh, you guys for coming on yeah thanks guys appreciate you guys hosting us absolutely thank you